If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We will look at verses 7 through 21 tonight. And it's going to come to us in three pieces. And so I'm going to read it in three sections as we go along. Um, Because of various circumstances, I'm leaning very heavily on James Boyce tonight. But we've been looking at John and his letter and the three tests for authentic Christianity, the moral test, obedience, the social test of love, and the the doctrinal test of truth. And if we think about and ask the question, is there anyone that John thinks is more important than another? Any of these stand out, at least to him? If I were to ask you which is the most important, which do you think is the most important, you'd be a little reluctant to answer that. I mean, it's all God's word, so how are you going to pick which portion is greater than than the other? And John might feel the same way. But he does seem to lay a greater emphasis, just in terms of time spent, on the um, test of love, that he seems to lay greater emphasis on that. And that's the topic, which is this entire section from 1 John 4, 7, through the end of the chapter. Uh, he's pressing that forward. And uh, specifically, James Boyce says, in seeing why John presses the point as he does, particularly in this section of the letter, we also see why the point must be present, pressed today precisely among the most orthodox and moral sectors of the Christian church. For we recognize that it is possible for a group of Christians to be very orthodox in theology and moral in outward behavior and yet have very little love for one another. And that's a very true statement. I mean, in my short life, I have seen it true that people, particularly when they're fixated on a doctrinal point of view, can treat very poorly people who disagree with them. Now, they're, they may be very right in their point of view, and I don't really question that. Uh, but, um, but I've seen it happen many times um, in my seminary days. I came to seminary at a time when there was this huge conflict going on. And I was ignorant. And it just so happened consequently that coincidentally I had friends on both sides of the issue. And so it was really a struggle to me. Um, I didn't really feel the need to take sides, but it was really a struggle seeing the two sides almost at war with one another, doctrinally. And so it, it happens that this is a very valuable test, a very valuable point, for us to think about, do we love one another? Do we love one another in the way that God would want us to love, even when we disagree? Uh, and it's not a question, I'm not questioning whether your point is right or not, just do we love one another even in light of that? So we've encountered the test of love twice before in chapter 2, verses 7 to 11, where it's related to the true light. In chapter 3, verses 11 
to 18, which is also related to eternal life. And so we have it in this section from verse 7 through 21 of chapter 4. And it falls out in three sections, and we'll take them one section at a time. Uh, The first is the exhortation to love one another that's repeated three times, and there are reasons for that in verses 7 to 12. So that's part one, verses 7 to 12, the exhortation to love one another. Then the second portion, which part two, which is verses 13 to 16, is uh, continuing to evaluate the, uh, the, the conduct of loving one another, uh, perhaps connected to sound doctrine uh, or our sound understanding of God. But at any rate, we have the second portion of uh, the connection of uh, love in verses 13 to 16. And the third portion of, of the exhortations to love in verses 17 to 21 have to do with if we love properly, we have confidence before God on the day of judgment. So look at your Bibles. In First John 4, verse 7 through 12, this is part one, the exhortations to love. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so there's there's three reasons that John here exhorts us to love one another. The first reason is because love is God's very nature. So if we know God and that's his nature, we will love one another. Uh, the second reason is God's gift of Christ. If God loved us in this way, how can we not love one another? And the third reason that we'll look at here is uh, that God is God's present activity in and through us. Uh, it's the twelfth verse that if we love one another, God abides in us. Uh, so the first reason is for the exhortation of of us to love one another is it's God's nature. It's verses 7 and 8. Let us love one another, for love is from God. So God is, the first of all, the source of love. There is no love that exists in this world that does not have its origin in the person of God. He is the one who is the source of of love. And uh, if we love one another, or if we're been, we've been born of God and we know God, then we will indeed love one another. And the second 
uh, element of this reason that it's God's nature is that God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's very nature is love. And if we know God, we know that aspect of God. This is one of three statements in John's writings where he makes the statement, God is something. In the Gospel of John, in John 4.24, he says, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. In John 4, uh, we saw in 1 John 1, 5, here in this letter, <clears throat> God is light when he's making the argument for our uh, obedience. God is light, and if we're living in God, we're living in obedience. And then this statement here in John 4, verse 8, uh, God is love. God in his very nature is love. And so if we know God, and if we claim to know God, then we have to demonstrate love for one another. Otherwise, we're denying our confession. If we don't love one another, we're denying that. Just kind of anticipating what's coming ahead Uh, but before we leave this point altogether, is there's an interesting building in these three sections of John 4, 7 through 12 in the Trinity. Here in these two verses, 7 and 8, you have the focus on God the Father. God is love. The Father is love, and so we love one another. In verses 9 to 11, the primary reference is to God the Son. And God the Son is love. And if we know him, we will love. And verse 12 is God, is the focus is on God the Spirit living in us. So the Holy Spirit is love. So God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Spirit is love. So if the work of the triune God is at work in us, we will and we must love one another. So the first reason we are exhorted to love is because it's God's very nature. The second reason is because of God's great gift. In this is love, excuse me, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. This is how we know what love is. This is how it was manifested. It was demonstrated. It was made clear. It's made clear in this that God sent his own son into the world. Reminds us of Paul's marveling in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Paul's uh, amazed at that gift. It's an amazing thing if we think about it. The 
the majestic nature and marvel of the love of God the Father who would give his son. This is love, John continues, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, we can't take credit for love. We can't claim that love has its origin in us. This is how we know what love is. God sent his son, and specifically in this verse, to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent the son to satisfy the holy wrath of God for our sins. The closest relationship of love that exists is within the Trinity. The most marvelous expressions of love is between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The closest covenant communion that there is in existence is between the triune God. And they demonstrate their love in this way. The Father demonstrating his love that he was willing to relinquish his Son out of love for us. And that must be a marvel to us. That must be something we stand in awe of every day we live. When you wake up in the morning and you thank God for another day, uh, even though you, you long to be in eternity, that will be wonderful too. It'd be great if you woke up in the morning and you were, you were in the very presence of Christ. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But when you wake up in the morning and you thank God for the day, you need to thank God for his love and the marvel of his love. <clears throat> uh, and the application of John, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Are we willing to sacrifice our interests for the sake of the interests of others? If we're not, then we haven't really come to grips with what God has done. Because love is not, as we know, primarily, it's not an emotion. Emotion may come along with it. But it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. Love is a commitment. Love is devotion. Love is sacrifice. Love is giving our all. That's what love is. It doesn't sound all mushy, but it's far more dynamic, far more significant. And then the third reason for the exhortation of uh, John here for us to love one another is the work of the Spirit. <clears throat> In verse 12, he says, No one has ever seen God. No one has ever physically seen with his uh, physical eyes God. And we'll take Moses out of the equation who saw the back parts of God. But nevertheless, no one has seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, no one has ever seen God, so how do people know that God exists? How do we know the reality and the truth of God in our world? And God in his amazing 
mercy has made given proof of his existence through you, through loving one another. That demonstrates the reality of God. I mean, there's other things that God does in a marvelous, wonderful way. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, he writes very well on this point. He says, the love of God displayed in his people is the strongest apologetic that God has in the world. When his love is planted in their hearts and he himself thus dwells within them, his love is perfected in the complementary response which it finds in them towards him and towards their fellows. It is in this way that they are not the only holy and merciful as he is holy and merciful, but as enjoined by their Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, perfect as their heavenly Father is perfect. And all through that perfection of love poured out for them in the sacrifice of the cross. How do we know God exists? Well, it's in the love that is demonstrated between God's children. That's part of the proof. And if we don't demonstrate that, we're demeaning that great love that God the Father has given to us. The second part in verses 13 to 16 connect uh, the love of God with our knowledge of God, our confession, the truth of our confession about God. And so we have that in verses 13 to 16. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. <clears throat> and so we hear we have here the the work of the Spirit that is uniting us to God and demonstrating or, or working out his love in our own hearts. We know that we abide in him because of the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And it works in us faith and understanding and trust in God so that it leads us to know his son, the Savior of the world, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And by that confession then we abide in God, we abide in Him and, and, uh, He and God. So there's a connection. There's an abiding that's going on between us and God because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. <clears throat> and, uh, so what's the connection to love? So we have that work and we can see that without necessarily the connection to love, but it becomes the reality of this the gifts of the Spirit, for us to know the love of God. It's the Spirit's work in our hearts so that 
we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. So if the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts, then we know God's love and we are able to live out uh, the expression of that love toward one another. And so uh, the confession of sound doctrine, the confession of truth, the confession of Christ as the Son of God, as uh, the working of the Spirit in our hearts is connected to our knowledge of the love of God and God's love abiding in us. And that forms the foundation of and the the empowerment of our uh, love for one another and our uh, the truth of our confession that we love God in our love for one another. Then the third element of this section is the perfecting of love. <clears throat> so we have this in verses 17 to 21 where we find this, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love one another. Now, it might take us aback a little bit when we read that first phrase, by this is love perfected with us. So we might think, well, how in the world can anything be perfected in us? Because we're so clearly aware of our own imperfection. And it's not as though there's any defect in God. John is not in any way trying to say God is somehow uh, deficient, that he, God is somehow imperfect. But the point that he's trying to make is not that we somehow perfect God by loving one another, but is trying to say that God's love working in and through us becomes mature and complete. Because that love is demonstrated and revealed in our loving one another. And one of the, the, the fruits of that is that we have confidence on the day of judgment. This is the third time in this letter that John has talked about confidence. <clears throat> it um, was used in reference to confidence on the day of judgment. It's used in reference to prayer. We're confident that uh, God hears our prayers uh, but here the emphasis is on our confidence for the day of judgment. That when we appear before God on the day of judgment, one of the things that gives us confidence is because the love of God has been worked out 
in our lives. It's not that you, it's not that you believe the truth, although that's important, but the, but the confidence grows out of your love for one another. And in verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. It's talking, first of all, primarily because when we appear before God, or why we have confidence is because of the love of God at work in our lives, sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins, When we see God in his holiness, we're afraid, properly so. But when we see the love of God poured out for us in his Son, Jesus Christ, it calms that fear because we see the evidence of his love. And whoever fears hasn't been perfect or matured or made complete in love. It's what gives us confidence. It's what quiets, it's what quiets our fears. We see this even in human relationships. If there's someone that you know, uh, could be a parent, uh, grandparent, could be someone you work for, and you know that you're just waiting for the, um, the rod to strike. And you live in fear. What are you going to do that's going to turn them on you? But when you know their love, when you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they love you and welcome you, even if they might have to correct you. That love removes the fear. And the bond of that relationship matures and becomes complete. And that's what the love of God in us and for us accomplishes. Perfect love casts out fear. But then he finishes up again with reminding us of the necessity of our love for one another. Uh, Again, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Love does not have its origin or source in us. We only love and we're only enabled to love because he first of all loved us. And then he gives us the correction. If you say I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. Because if you can't love the person you see, how in the world are you going to love the God you don't see? So the demonstration of your love for the God you can't see yet is evidenced by the love for the brother or sister you do see. That's the evidence of it. Your confession that you love God is a total lie if you don't love your brother or your sister and be willing to sacrifice for them and to be willing to give yourself for them and demonstrate your love for them 
This is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is how the love of God is made complete or perfected in us. Because if we love God and know his love for us, then we will indeed love for one another. Does that mean they won't be aggravating? No. Um, Christians are some of the most aggravating people that you'll ever meet. I mean, you know the ungodly are aggravating, and so you kind of write that off right to begin with, but you sort of expect something better from Christians. But they can be just as aggravating. But that's where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, because we need to love them. Because you know what? You're sometimes just that aggravating too. And you know, this guy standing up here, he can be just as aggravating. And I know that's true, and I know someone here very close to me knows that's true. But love covers a multitude of ills. Love works through all that in a committed, a significant relationship. And that's what God is calling upon us. He demonstrates it. The Father gives his love. The Son gives his love. The Holy Spirit gives his love. And he fills us with that and then calls you and I to give that love to one another. And it's in that way that we demonstrate uh, who God is in our life in this world. So hear the exhortations. Find your strength and hope in the Lord and live out the commandments, as Jesus said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word and how it guides and directs us. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the demonstration of your love in such an amazing way through your Son, through the sending of the Holy Spirit to abide in us. I pray that you will give each of us uh, help and strength to love one another, to live out the reality of who you are in the way we treat one another. And we do so, Lord, not to bring glory to ourselves, but to have people know you and know that you exist and see the demonstration of your power in our lives. We ask, O Father, that you would accomplish this for the glory of your holy name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.